Hi, this is Charles Wiz. Tony Silva. And we're two teachers talking. It's our, and Tony and I, we're talking about teaching and education and being in Japan and all sorts of things. So, Tony, I'm going to make the intro short and let's get to it because it's the beginning of the year. School has started. We've been in classes and you came up with a real interesting topic to talk about. Then why don't you introduce it? Well, it's a new year for everybody. Us right? in Japan. And uh, but there's some some folks. Um, not only it's a new year, but it, maybe it's a new career. <laughs> it's a, a new teacher, right? And right about this time, um, you've had your first couple of classes, and you're probably feeling <laughs> a little bit overwhelmed. And we thought we'd maybe you know, throw you a lifesaver or two, and, and uh, throw you a rope. And you can you know, like make your way back to the edge of the pool and come up for air. No, don't, no, don't, don't, yeah, but even if we throw you the rope, don't accept it. Just you know, give up, let it go. <laughs> make sure the other side is connected to something. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't trust a teacher throwing you a rope if I were you. But I think that's really true. That at this point, the t the excitement's worn down, and you, the teacher, the new teacher, is beginning to experience the reality that well, this job is a whole lot harder than. I ever thought. <laughs> yeah, and you forget, right? I mean, how I mean, we still don't remember how hard it is, but that uh, shock when you're just beginning, it's like in walking that classroom and feeling one like you know everything, and then 10 minutes later realize that you know nothing. And that's so hard. Well, so, I feel anyway, the same way. We share I this feel the same way. <laughs> After all these share years our of quote teaching, unquote wisdom here. Yeah, I think the difference, though, this was thinking about this, is that when you're a new teacher, you're overwhelmed by the whole thing, everything. And for me now, I'm overwhelmed by certain problems rather than the whole thing. So I think we're going to just go do one of these lightning round things. Yeah, let's, let's hit it that let's way because there's go, so much. go back right? and forth, right? There's so many different things. So what we're going to just do is throw out, toss out little chunks of wisdom. So get a pencil. <laughs> Get a piece of paper. I'm ready. Get a drink. I'm ready. Oh, to drink. Okay. <laughs> Have I'm ready. I'm I'm ready to listen. So Tony, why don't you start with your first thing? Uh well, do you, one of the things that when, I remember one of my big mistakes very early on, and it took me a long time to correct this. Um, just talking too fast. Um, you really, you know, you're nervous. You're a little bit on edge, and and you're all wound up, and that's going to increase your speaking speed a little bit and it's exact opposite of what you should be doing you should be really slowing it down <laughs> and not only the pace but one of the hardest things for um people for listening in a, a second language gaps between the words uh that gives the brain a little bit time to process that, that this is an individual word and for you know when you're, you're speaking with another native speaker it all blurs together and it just sounds so fast but pauses between individual words will help students comprehension immeasurably okay that's it. okay <laughs> <laughs> all right and i would add on to that that one should enunciate real carefully and really in addition to just slowing it down but that's one of the things that slowing it down really does for people it helps them hear the individual sounds sure and the rule for me when i'm teaching presentations is basically talk at about 75 to 80 percent of your normal speed and you'll basically hit the right classroom teacher vocal speed Right. Or just visualize what I tell my the students doing presentations, right? Presentation teaching. Um, talk to the person in the next room. Not, not the person in the back of the room. Talk to the person in the next room. That loud, that slow, that clearly, so the person in the next room can hear what you're saying. I wonder if that's why my students have their hands over their ears. <laughs> Maybe I'm too loud. Okay, so one thing is speak slowly, speak clearly, speak loudly. There you go. 
and you're aiming at the person in the back seat in the room in For the sure. last row. Okay. Okay, my turn. Hmm. Um, they don't understand half of what you're saying, even though you think they are, and you're assuming that they're understanding more than they do. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things I start with is don't assume how much they understand. Go slowly. Use those breaks that you just mentioned, but you know, talk a few sentences, stop, check. And one of the things I would do is I would turn to student to your class and say, okay, turn to your friend and check with each other that you understand what I just said every minute or so. Mm, I like it. Especially in the beginning, because you're going to, you know, I think, oh, wow, they understand everything. Yeah, because they're, 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 you know, they're questions? nodding their heads. No, they're not, uh, yeah. <laughs> everything's right. fine. <laughs> okay, all right. Okay, so that's, <laughs> yeah, don't assume that they understand. Anything. I, I think, yeah, I think I'd probably go to that point sometime. Yeah, don't assume. Don't assume that they understand anything. Confirm. Confirm. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Assess how much understanding is really out there, and either by having them turn to each other and review something along those lines. Okay, your turn. I thought that was my turn. I thought Um, I just. I know. I just added the one (laughs) about not. Don't Um, assume that they understand. Yeah. 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 Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Um, Go. One of the things that uh, if you don't have a lot of experience in Japan, you know, if you either have taught somewhere else or you've been trained somewhere else, um, in Japan, and and I think maybe you're going to disagree with this, motivation is a much bigger part of the job than you may have been told. Uh, it's really key to get anything done. You really need to work on getting the students involved, getting the students motivated, because they've, through their whole education life, um, have just been at the passive end of lecture after lecture after lecture after lecture after lecture. And they have no idea what you want from them and, or how to learn a foreign language. And so much of that is, it's not English that you're teaching, but how to learn a foreign language and what you have to do inside the class and outside the class and a whole different way of thinking. And no one tells you that. I don't disagree with your comment that it's a bigger part of the job than you think. I just disagree with the fact that it's part of my job. <laughs> but I would add to that that you really can't motivate people. And instead of getting nervous and upset that your students don't want to learn and get motivated, teach some basic skills that are going to help them get through the class and so they feel like they're learning something. Teach them note-taking. Give them templates for how to work in the class. Provide them with the useful cheat sheets, um, model for them things. is Because otherwise, I don't know, how do you motivate somebody who spent, what, let's see. Well, elementary school is pretty good in Japan. Uh, it's surprisingly good, and the students really seem active. So the last six years, junior high school and high school, so you get a freshman class, and they've spent the last six years preparing for tests, and you want output. <laughs> they're really scared to produce output because they're going to make a mistake. So I would just say work on whatever kinds of skills that would be useful. And I would think note-taking, summarizing skills, uh, reporting, how to report, but most importantly, review skills. Teach them and drill them how to review. And I think that helps on kind of achieving what you're talking about. I don't know. I like the, I like the skills part, but I'll, I'll just give two examples about motivation things that I do. Okay. Um, one of them is... Uh, Talk to them about, and this I use mostly in specific reading and writing classes, but also some classes where they're like four skills types classes. Um, I start talking about the internet and talk about information and power and uh, ask them, well, it's like you guys all have your phones. You guys know the internet, kind of, my Yahoo, whatever it is. <laughs> whatever your your perception of it is but they they think you know they they've some familiarity with the internet and i asked them this like well you know in the world the internet 
how much content is in in Japanese because uh, you you guys use Japanese all the time, right? And so if you're using Japanese all the time, how much of the internet do you see? And you know the, the presidential like twenty percent, thirty percent, forty percent, some of the nationalists. Um, then I show them the chart, and it's about three or four percent. Right. He says, "Well, okay, you're only using Japanese. You're only seeing three or percent, four percent of what's out there, and English is about sixty percent still." So, if you want to see that sixty percent, pay attention in my class. And then for <laughs> then for specifically. Uh, public speaking presentation classes. Um, I explained to them that the skills that we were going to learn are not specific to English. And you can use this in any language, your native language or your other languages that you might be learning. <clears throat> and uh, the, the power of being able to express yourself and be able to persuade people. And I show them the video of the speech that was made by, um, I get all choked up just thinking about it, um, Emma Gonzalez, uh, who's one of the high school students in Florida with one of the shootings, and she uh, came out after the shooting and, and made a speech and uh, included 17 minutes of silence for the 17 minutes of the uh, active shooting on at her high school high school. And um, I explained, so I think, well, this is how you change the world. And this is what we're going to learn how to do. So, motivation. <clears throat> okay, well. <laughs> how do you follow that up? All right. I don't know. Let's go. Um, okay. You got one? Yeah. Well, I, I, excuse me for a second. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. I would think going back to the motivation thing is that. Build in repetitions of the same activities. Instead of moving in just a straight line, you know, towards your end goal of the semester, make sure, so for example, let's say you're doing a presentation class, a speech class, and you start off with the first time is usually a self-introduction, then you do introduce your friend, hometown, let's say, then your hobby, then a how-to, then describe a problem, solve a problem. Instead of just going straight down in a line, every third or fourth week, or every third or fourth, whatever, have them go back and redo the original. So, for example, if they, you know, the second week of class, they do a self-introduction, about the fifth week, sixth week, have them go back and do their self-introduction again so that they can see how much they've improved. Because I think one of the problems with motivation is that students don't see what kind of progress they're making, and they feel like it's just, you know, they're on the treadmill and they're not going anywhere. So build in ways that will clearly and without doubt demonstrate to the students how much they have learned and how or how much better they are i guess it's a a formative um assessment but that's also a good tool for them to see how much work they need to do as well but one of the biggest problems for students is that they don't see that they're getting better if i turn to a student let's say in a speech class and i had this one student and in, in, i was she took my class from april until the end of the the year in january and she could barely talk and at the last presentation she started talking and somebody interrupted and asked a question and she looked at the person and said excuse me but could you let me finish and then i'll be happy to answer your question and we were all <laughs> totally blown away everyone in the room was like this is the same person who couldn't even get up in front of the class or do anything let's say so Build in ways for the students to see that they're improving, that they're making some progress. And that, I think, is good for motivation. Mm. Very good. I really like that because that um, satisfaction that students get from doing something, completing a task or doing something well, uh, is a wonderful motivation tool. It's great. Okay. And it's it's wonderful to see. It's great for the teacher too. <laughs> mm. Okay. So beginning teacher, newbie teacher, new teacher thing. Um you're talking much more than you think you are. Ah <laughs> <laughs> Charles, 
after teaching for 30, <laughs> how many years? 33 years. You're talking more than you. Actually, I'm getting pretty good about not talking too much. Good for I'm you. pretty aware of it. But you to probably think there are more on task rather than you're talking than you think. I definitely suggest putting a recorder in the room that's just for your benefit and figuring out. And then at the end of the class, you say, okay, I spoke for 50% of the time. I spoke for 30% of the time. And then check yourself to see how much you're talking. Because the, if you're talking, they're not learning. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so that's my suggestion. Is, I like uh, that. Be aware, be aware that you're talking far more than you think. Okay. And to add to that, beginning teachers... When you get nervous, when things don't go your way, you'll start talking more. And faster. And faster. <laughs> it's that panic. <laughs> oh, you see, we have that built-in review process now. We've gone back to the beginning. and Okay. So I think that's an important one, is you probably are talking more than you think. Right. Okay, your turn. Um, lesson plans. Uh, when you walk into the classroom, don't have a lesson plan. It's but when you at the beginning, when you're, you're starting off, right? After you've done this for five or ten years, you're going to have alternate lesson plans built into your head. But when you walk in at the beginning, don't because you never assume that it's going to go the way that you think it's going to go. It's oh, not. that's a, that's a whole thing by itself. <laughs> no, that should be rule number one. It's not going to go the way you think. It's Murphy. So you, Murphy's you gotta have, law. Yeah, yeah, you got to have alternatives. You have to have branches that say, okay, if this goes this way, it goes this way, then this is what we're going to do. And then if it goes this way, we're going to go to the textbook. Oh, no, if it goes this way, we're going to go to the workbook. In this case, no, we're going to throw this away. We're going we're gonna to play this game. Mm. You've got to have uh, alternate plans and alternate things for every class that you go into. Because um, it's, it, again, it's you just no way to know what's going to happen when that bell rings. Okay. All right, and I'm going to go, it's my turn now? Yep. I want to add to that one. It's it's definitely very close, which is don't stick to the lesson plan when it's not working. There you go. Yeah. That's another one that beginning teachers will do. They have their lesson plan. It's just what you said. There are multiple ideas, There are, but you know, something's not working. If something's not working, it's not working, and there's nothing that you can do to make it work, pretty much. Or the amount of energy or experience that it takes to make something work that's not working is not available to you. Hmm. So at that point, it's not working. Go to the next thing. Move on to the next activity. Play a game. Do something. But... If it's not working, don't hammer it. You know, don't try to like batten down the hatches and you know really think, okay, I'm going to weather this storm. Just say, okay, this isn't working. I'll move it to another day. Or an even better thing is, it's not working now. I'll just put it at a different time in the lesson. Mm -hmm. So that would be my suggestion: is beef open. Just if it's you know, if something doesn't work, it's not working. Yeah, you got to be able to bail. You got to be able to bail. Yeah. Um, cor corollary to this, kind of building on this, start assembling your bag of tricks. Yes, your bag. Yes, your <laughs> because you're going to get into that situation, and it's like nothing's working. It's like okay, what's it going to be? And you know, whatever it is, is whether it's like you know, vocabulary gang game hangman, or 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 or, or whatever it is, you know, you're going to have several of these things that you can like drop back and punt. It's okay. Now we're going to do this. Put them on this other activity gives you a chance to think, reflect. Okay, what are we going to do when this is over, and how can I do this a different way? And it kind same same kind of thing when things really start to go bad. Um, don't be afraid of downtime. Don't be afraid to take a break. Just you know, say hey. This is this is you guys. You guys blame that. You you guys aren't gotten yet together. Let's let's just take a break. No, we'll get back in ten minutes and we'll start fresh. There's nothing wrong with that. And there's the other thing too is that a little game or a little change of pace might make that activity work. Right. But not you know just getting more serious about the activity. So let's say you're doing a vocabulary activity and the students are not into it and they're not doing anything play a game or uh, something along those lines actually that leads me to my next thing which mm. are magic tricks okay learn magic tricks simple magic tricks and the key here i think is that the magic trick has to be something that they can figure out after a while 
because then it's fun for them and they realize that you can do it. So magic tricks and stories, easy to understand stories that will work for them. So I'm going to suggest, I'm kind of going to combine two things here. One is that learn some magic tricks just to, you know, break the tedium, change the pace, kind of break, you know, change the energy level in the class. And the other thing is have stories that you tell your students and make sure that the stories have the same characters in them hmm. so that they develop familiarity. So, for example, I will talk to my students about my wife and my daughter and tell little stories and use them to illustrate points I'm trying to make, for example, using information or how to ask questions or how things can be misunderstood. And they become familiar with those characters. Uh, it's the same thing of, for you know, using TV shows rather than movies if you're using that kind of media to teach language, is that after a while, there are certain threads in a story that they get used to, whereas a movie, it's kind of hard to pick up and you watch it. So magic tricks and stories, I say, develop a repertoire of those. Very, very useful. I like, I like yeah. both those ideas. Yeah, very good. Mm. Okay, so your turn. Um, time management. And this Ooh, is a double-edged sword. Because uh, on the one hand, the big fear that uh, uh, novice teachers often have is like having enough to do to fill the class, the 60 minutes or the 90 minutes, 100 minutes, whatever it is. And they will often make the mistake of like trying to cram too much in there that's in any way humanly possible to cover. And then feel obligated that they have to cover it because it's in the lesson plan. And those are jamming things in. Don't do that. <laughs> um, plan and include uh, time to review. I mean, begin the mm. class with a recap of what was done before. Okay, Talk about what you're going to do today. Do what you're going to do today. And at the end, leave some time at the end to let them digest, review what's happening, and talk what's going to happen the following week. Build all that in. It's not slacking. It's not it's cutting corners. It's part of what you do. Um, don't pack too much on the plate. But of course, go back to the other thing. You got to have all your alternates. But you realize that you're not going to do all the alternates. You only make choices. And don't just because you've got it on the lesson plan doesn't mean that you've got to do it today. Um, don't jam it in. Um, no one's going to benefit from that. They're not going to learn it. You're going to have to teach it again another time anyway. So plan that review, that recycling, the foreshadowing, and the recap. Plan all that in, and don't try to cram too much in, into every class. Those are really very, very good things. I like those. Um, I think that one of the biggest mistakes of most beginning teachers, most teachers, is that we don't review. You don't start the class with a review. You don't end the class with a review. And that's right. and I've developed that to begin the class with a review, build in reviews every, you know, about almost every 10 minutes now. Stop. What have we done? What are the important points? Move on. And then end the class with a review. I think it's Pollination who said the most important thing you can teach is what you taught before. Because it really is going to be in and out, right? It's going to go in one ear, go out the other. Because for You've us, gotta especially, repeat it. You've got yeah, to because repeat it. You've got to otherwise it. they're not going to hear it for another right. week. The way that language classes are set and up, and if in you don't do it, maybe ever. Oh, by the yeah, if, uh, okay. <laughs> going some, to the some next that you one. you tell them one time, that's gone. You need to do it over and over. Right, and over. right, yeah. Because if you don't do it, nobody else will. Correct. That's an important thing, right? Okay, so. My turn? Yep. Teach them manners from day one <laughs> and drill them in manners because not only are manners nice, but if you think about your job as a beginning teacher, and most people will think my job is to teach English, my job is to teach math. Well, that's true. But in addition to being you know, a motivator, your job is also to help people be have better lives. And as a teacher, as an educator, one of the easiest ways to increase somebody's likelihood of success is to help them develop a really good 
persona or outside persona. And if you could teach the manners in English, especially, you know, excuse me, thank you, yes, please, no, thank you, I appreciate that, they're going to have a much easier path in their lives. And it's also going to equalize certain socioeconomic differences. So start off with the manners and drill them because you're going to have to drill them because even after 15 weeks or whatever, I do have my students who stand up. There will always be a couple of students who, after doing their group talk, stand up and walk away instead of saying thank you. Nice talking with you. And more than anything else, I can pretty much guarantee that no one else is teaching them those manners, that way of interacting and engaging with people in English. None of their other teachers are requiring them to say thank you when you hand them papers. And I think you and I know that by using those polite terms in Japanese, it makes all the difference in the world. Even when we make mistakes or we kind of, you know, kind of react in an American way, that those polite expressions really help. So I would say from day one and drill it, drill it, drill it, and it has to be 100% compliance. So that's and it's very, my very important um, for. Um... Another other reason, or other reasons, too, is that a lot of times, because American manners or Western manners and Japanese manners differ, a lot of times students, because the manners are different, they somehow come to the conclusion that there are none. Because the Japanese manners, which is all they know, don't apply, so there are no rules. and teaching them that no 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 <laughs> there there definitely are rules here um can as you as you said uh give them that big leg up and really in, increase their chances for success in the future but because that's a mistake so easy for them to make that's true i didn't think about it that way that that right that because the manners are different if you're teaching to like first-year students, let's say, who don't have a lot exactly. of exposure, they don't realize that, wait, oh, look, no, ma no I can't see any manners. Right. It's not it's obvious invisible. to me. That's a good point, Tony. Right, it's invisible to them, and unless you mark it for them, they're not going to see it. Okay, so the next thing I have building on review, oh, wait, I did say that. I did the manners, so it's your turn. <laughs> you um, thought you had you thought you had a pass on that round there. <laughs> That's okay. I got, I got a long list. Yes. Um, this, this is a little bit hard. It was, it was very, very hard for me, partly because where I started teaching, but, uh, and it takes a little bit of maybe experience and, um, a little bit of seasoning, uh, learning to give students the benefit of the doubt. Um, a lot of times a, a new teacher in your class and one of the big fears that you've got depend depending on where you're teaching, um, is losing control of the class. And it's anti-intuitive to sometimes try giving the class a little bit longer leash. And that's something you have to experiment with, play with. Um, but getting over that, that fear of losing control uh, can make a big difference in your classroom. And you'll feel it. You'll feel it. Uh, the interaction between you and and the, and the students and things as they start to relax a little bit and they feel a little bit more at ease as you then become a little bit more at ease and the classroom becomes a different place. It's a different dynamic going on, but it, it's hard to do. But think about it. Think about it. Don't always assume that the, the, the uh, a problem student is intentionally causing a problem. Give the benefit of the doubt. Think about what might be causing the problem behavior, uh, what factors might involve, and different ways that you can react to it so it's not so, doesn't escalate into a destructive confrontation that destroys your dynamic with the whole class. Mm. Benefit of the doubt. Mm. A good one. That's a good one. Okay, so I'm going to build on that with my turn now, which right. is, and it's very closely related to what you're saying, and that is that you do not, as a teacher, have access to the internal states of your students. We're seeing 
behaviors or we're observing behaviors, we don't know what the causes are. Pretty much we're seeing symptoms of mm. other things. So one of the best ways to get through this and the easiest ways to get through it, and I do this with uh, my teachers when they're getting ready for their teacher training, when they start observing is, tell me what you see. And they'll say, oh, the students are motivated. I've talked about this before. It's like, no, see things hmm. as behaviors, as actions. And that will allow you to figure out what to do and engage with your students better. So instead of saying, for example, my students are motivated or the student's not motivated or this student is bored, it's better to say, oh, that student has not picked up their pencil to take notes. Or uh, the students are not making eye contact with each other. Or the students are looking at their phones. In other words, you don't know what's causing that behavior. So what you can do is see the behavior, observe it, and then do something to deal with that behavior. But, you know, it's, it's such a common thing for beginning students. Like one of the questions I ask is, okay, what you have a student and the student is coming to school every day and wearing the same clothes. What's going on? And, you know, an experienced teacher, I think, right away would kind of go, well, obviously, I've got a kid who's not going home, or there's not a change of clothes, or something going on here. Initially, early, at least at some of the places I've taught, the students will say, oh, the student's lazy, the student doesn't care about their appearance. So you have to say, okay, the student's not changing clothes, and then you can engage that, or the student's sleeping in my class. Well, you don't know if that student's working at a part-time job until three right. in the morning to put themselves through school. Big, right. I have, point, one, I, I have one student who would just come to school sleepy, and I couldn't understand because you know, they'd kind of nod off in class, but they were one of my most motivated students. And you find out that that student's waking up at four in the morning and making breakfast for the family because the mother passed away and the father's struggling to keep the family together and somebody has to do this, and that's her job before she comes to school. So she's already put in four hours of work before she even gets on the train to, let's say, go to school. So don't make assumptions. Don't think you have access to internal states. Observe, see, look, and don't judge. Just mm -hmm. figure out, hey, that's what's going on. What can I do to get the results I want? And that's part of the bag of tricks, I think, also you were talking about, Tony. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that benefit of the doubt. Just don't. Yeah, think you, it's that, don't think you know what's going on. You don't. Yeah, 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 and give yourself the benefit of the doubt of not understanding, of not knowing, saying that's okay too. You don't know everything. You're not going to know how to deal with every situation. So, I like that about giving the students the benefit of the doubt. There's something usually you can. Find that would account for that behavior or what's happening. Mm. Okay, your turn. Um, this is for maybe the situations where you've got a class that you're just not getting along with. There's just there's some chemistry that's that's gone awry. This is um, kind. Of, I'm sorry to interrupt, but this is kind of like there are two kinds of people in the world. There are people who have lost data, and there are people who will. <laughs> right? You will have a yeah. class like this. I said when. Okay. <laughs> I just wanted to interrupt. That's all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But because right, you, you, you this just, will happen. <laughs> this I just wanted to mark that this is going to happen. Ten years, you yeah, they were wrong. It never happened. It's going to happen. You're going to have a class like that. Yeah. Okay. And I had a, I had a lot of them early on, and I, I taught rough school, a lot of rough classes, and um, what I learned to do was to observe and isolate and identify the alpha dogs. I isolate the influencers. And there's usually one or two. And if you can, yeah, you, you isolate the one, the troublemaker, and you wait. And you wait for them to screw up. And they will. <laughs> and then you make a very clear, easy to understand example. You take down their general. You take their general out in the hall <laughs> and you and you dress them down <laughs> and you let them slink back into the classroom. It used to work pretty well. <laughs> mm. But um, 
that's a pretty severe case. But in general, uh, class dynamics, the influencers, the alphas, um, if you're having a problem with the class, try to work with the influencers. And, you know, whether you use the candy or the stick, that's up to you. It's up to the students, up to the class, it's the school that you're teaching. Um, yeah, and it might be completely the opposite rather than, you know, some kind of disciplinary action. It could be a, just a random act of kindness. It's like, hey, you guys, I got some extra candy. Literally, I mean, candy. Like, hey, help yourself. Here's some chocolate. It can be a turning point. Bribes. <laughs> Whatever works. <laughs> now that's that should be that's the name of the episode, right? Is uh, it's just whatever works. That's as long as it's reasonably ethical. I think. <laughs> whatever, whatever works. Okay, I think that's a good point. That figure out, especially in J Japan, right? But in most right. classes, and there's classroom dynamics. Is that yep. there's there's somebody who's having a very oversized effect. Mm. on what's happening in the classroom. So I'm just going to add to that in my turn is that okay. um, a good thing for a new teacher to remember is that when there's like smashing successes and you're having a great class, it's not you. <laughs> and when it's not going well, it's probably not you because... <laughs> You're seeing something as you and students, and you're not seeing the classroom as a dynamic. And learning to understand that you're involved in a dynamic rather than uh, one, thing, one variable having an outsized effect on the other. It's, 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 you're, 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 like, you know, you're like co-jointly attached twins. You, you're working together. It's both of you. So it's the students and the teacher together. So... Whenever you see something that's working, ask yourself, what did you do and what did the students do? And what added to that? When something's going wrong, what did you do? What did the students do? Because it's never 100% on one side. Sure. So always see things as a dynamic, as a kind of a living system that you are part of, not that you are controlling. And the other side, to go back to when you talked about giving up control, I want to do the flip side of that, Tony, which is... A lot of people want to give students freedom. They want to create a free space in their classroom. And I'd say as a beginning teacher, an important thing, and this is something I feel pretty strongly about, and I know that other teachers have taken me to task about this. If I want to give my students freedom, then I have to have control of the class. It has to be clear to the students that this is my classroom, that it is the space that I am creating and they are engaged in. And once that there's that understanding, I can then give the freedom for them, you know, give them a lot of freedom and say, now run with it. But if you go in and say, I want to run a free classroom, I want the students to have complete, you know, control and choice and decision making, that's a very rare group of students who will be able to manage that on their own. So you might want to think twice about certain aspects of pedagogy or your personal beliefs or, you know, it's like, you know, you have to, there are certain things they have to learn. There are certain ways of interacting, engaging that they have to learn that are structured. And without those structures, you're going to have chaos. But if you want to have freedom within this, the structure will allow those students to have a lot more freedom. So I think kind of don't think of it as a binary opposition, but actually deal with that contradiction that the freedom will come from a well-structured situation. Yeah, I like that. I like, I like the way you described that. Well, thank you. I thought that was rather <laughs> good of me, too, you know? I mean, I just have been rehearsing that for 20 years. But, you know, Tony, it's amazing. I went over, I don't know how many times I've said that. You know, that's everything I've said so many times. I repeat myself so often. But teachers get so upset and heated when I talk about, you have to have control of the classroom. No, the it's a student's classroom, and it's, you know, you're... And that's like, you know, excuse me, but... I don't know, like maybe perhaps you've been teaching in Japanese universities for your entire career, but I've taught in like high schools. I've taught high school classes in the United States, and you don't 
you know, <laughs> you know, excuse me, but if you've ever held a gun, you know that there's a thing called a safety. <laughs> right? You know, it's this, you know, it's not a bad thing for you to have control of that classroom. And the thing is is that exercising that control doesn't have to be autocratic or demonic. It's setting parameters, showing, modeling the behaviors, and explaining to people, your students, that, you know, this is what's acceptable and this is not. And if you cross those boundaries, you know, there are penalties because it's a group thing. And let me give an example is that I, you know, I will not tolerate students laughing at other students, mm. making fun of other students. And, mm. you know, I've seen situations where if you give students complete, you know, or you not give them complete control, but if you don't monitor that behavior, they will tease, sometimes tease students, and not because they even know that they're doing it, but it's just the, the behavior that emerges. So it's amazing to me that, that I can really get people to react to me, but I think, yeah, it's my classroom first. I'm responsible. In fact, if something goes wrong, I have to take responsibility. I get the blame. And therefore, I'm going to run the best classroom I have that, you know, you are coming into my classroom and I run the class. But I run it in a way that gives you the optimal amount of freedom and learning choices. But at the end of the day, you know, you can only have one driver. Right. It's your authority to share or not. Right. And when you said let go, I find that, right, letting go is possible if you've set it up so it works. Yeah, remember I said it was like, not let go of the leash. Right. Longer leash. Or, you know, put, set up some Don't fences. Don't let go. Set, <laughs> <what's>, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's such a good image because I, I can really see myself being dragged around the classroom by students, you know, mentally, right, with their different needs or their different activities or... Oh, that's a good one. Okay, so I, I went off the deep end there. It's <laughs> no, out. I like it. No, no, it's good because I, I do the same. I, I emphasize student autonomy at the very beginning of class, but I also set very, very clear boundaries. And anything that's going to, and I make it very clear that anything that's going to interfere with anybody else's learning it will not be tolerated. Yes. Period. Whatever yes. it is. Right. And I'm the umpire. <laughs> there are no seconds. And there is opinions. no instant replay. <laughs> there is no review of my call. Right. But on the other hand, I also tell students and make it clear that, you know, if I do something that you don't like, please talk to me. Mm. If you disagree with me, please talk to me. And I do clearly inform the students, you do have avenues in the school if you think that there's something I'm doing that you don't like. But be aware, you know, that if there's something that's going on that you don't like, it's best to talk to me. And usually it's all, it never happens because I haven't done anything really wrong. Of course not. Uh, of course not. I've never done anything <laughs> wrong in my life. As I hope my wife is listening now. It's not my fault. I'm not to blame. I didn't do it. You think I did it, but I didn't. What I mean by that is I think it's also important that students know what their avenues are. Because what you do is you empower them that way. You say, hey, here are the things. Make sure you know that if this go happens, this is where you would go. This is who you talk to. And I feel more comfortable that way because I, can, I also have that. I said, yes, I have informed my students that they have, you know, that if they, something's going wrong that they don't like. For example, if you, you know, remember if you disagree with my grade? For, okay, let me give an example of that. I tell my students, always keep your papers, take pictures of your papers, keep track of your grades. Because if I make a mistake on your grade, you've got the evidence. And if you bring that evidence to me and you say, hey, you know, Mr. Wiz, uh, you gave me a B and my work shows that I have an A, I'm going to be really grateful to you. Right? If a student comes mm -hmm. to me and says, hey, you know, that joke was not funny and I didn't feel comfortable with it, I don't get angry. I'm like, thank you for talking to me and sure. telling me I know not to do that. So I think... You know, you can't, you have to create a two way street with that, that they have to see you as having authority, but also that you're responsible authority and you're open to those things. But yeah, just do not, as a beginning teacher, go in and say, okay, this is your class. <laughs> oh, you're going to have such a mess. <laughs> okay, your turn. Hmm. Is it your uh, turn? Let's see. I think I don't it's know. your turn. 
Who cares? Uh, it's yeah. your turn. I have I I'm I am the teacher and I am in control of this <laughs> podcast and it's your turn. Uh sounds silly. Uh but take note. <laughs> how, how does that sound silly? Uh, uh, because of course you're going to remember what you did last week. Who could possibly forget? Who how could you possibly forget what page in the textbook you were on? Everyone, of course, we know it is. No, Wait a second. take that. Write down. Write down everything. <laughs> write down what cover pages you did. What? How far you got? What you said? What went right? What went wrong? All the ideas that came to you during class, it's like, oh, yeah, I should have done it this way. Or next week, I can reinforce this by doing this. Or, or, or all that set up. And again, if it need be, uh, and you need to like budget some time at the end of the class for this, you know, put them on a task. Okay, it's like, you know, to discuss what we did today. And I wanted to some I'm some group to explain this what we did, and while they're doing that, you sit down and you make your notes and you say what did you do, what you're going to do next week, and so forth. Notes, 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 notes. Take notes. <laughs> notes. Yeah, yeah, because what's going to happen is you're going to go back to your dog-eared textbook, and then you're going to go after you know your first year. It's fine because right, you're only teaching one of those classes, and whatever the last dog ear is is where you were at. But after like. The Third year, you know, every page is dog-eared and you have no idea. Yeah, or you have like three or four classes of the same, the same right. textbook, uh, right? And so on one page, you did two pages. The other one, you did four. You did three. And it's like, okay, well, you're going to go to class next week. It's like, it's like what do we do? Okay. <laughs> so the flip side of that is this will happen to you. It's a matter of when is it. You will mm-hmm. teach the same lesson two times. <laughs> and they and the great thing you. is in Japan is the students won't say anything to you till the end of the class. Even if they even are aware of it. Yeah, they might not even notice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Take notes. Yes, take take really, really good notes. Take Incre- yeah, the idea is that at the end of class, put your students together in groups and have them review, and have the, you know make sure the review is systematized. It's a systematic way to go about it, and start writing down your own review of what you did. Right. Because yeah, I can't tell you how many times I've walked into a class and I thought, wait a second, I, I prepped for today, but did I prep for the right thing? Okay. Ah, you so too. let me run with the take notes. Okay. It's a. It's a. Another thing, but this is a micro plagiarism. aspect of taking notes. Plagiarism. plagiarism. No, 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 no. That you can talk about plagiarism <laughs> later. I want to add plagiarizing. on. Plagiarizing. Anyway, go ahead. I want to add taking on to notes. this one, which is whenever it goes back to time management. But um, and I'll come back to plagiarism too. I have a real strong opinion about that for teachers. Um, whenever you estimate how long an activity is going to take, write down your estimate and then watch how long it takes the students and write down how long it took. If you think you got to prepare for a class, write down your estimate of time, how long it's going to take you to prepare, and then time yourself and write down the timing. Keep a log of your time estimate for something and the actual amount of time it takes because most people don't you know, follow the proper rule, which is if I think it's going to take an hour, it's going to take three hours. But by doing this, you have a record and you're giving yourself feedback. And after about three years or so, you will be really good at estimating how long an activity will take or how long um, it'll take you to do something in the classroom or how long it'll take you to prepare. Keep really good notes of a log of your estimate and then the actual amount of time it took. Okay. Now, plagiarism. Go. No, you. Me? Yeah. You said you had strong opinions on what Yes, yes, yes. There is no need to design your own... I got nothing own... to say except don't. Ah, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to say don't plagiarize, but definitely copy and credit. So many people I know spend hours and hours and hours developing their own materials and designing materials. There's so much stuff out there. Just go find it and save yourself the time and use somebody else's material and just say and credit it to the person. That's what I would say. I don't know why you'd want to spend hours and hours and hours reinventing something that probably somebody, some other teacher who's far better at designing activities or making activities, somebody's made it and you can use it. Don't, don't develop and design your own activities. Find them. Search. Google it. Use somebody else's activities because your, your goal, unless you want to be a textbook designer or a materials designer, your goal, your main responsibility 
is to be at peak performance in the classroom. You want to achieve peak performance while you're in the classroom. You don't want to be tired because you were up till three in the morning designing the, the worksheet. That's my opinion on that. Now, and you think, were you thinking of a different kind of plagiarism? No, no. I was talking about you plagiarizing my ideas. Which idea did I plagiarize? <laughs> I don't remember. No, really. which ones? Which ones? Yeah, which ones? <laughs> which, which ones am I talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Didn't I give you credit? I think this was done by somebody else. That's what I always say. Hey, here's something. This is not my idea, but somebody else's idea. Whose idea is it? I don't know, but it's probably not mine. But you think I don't think I plagiarize your ideas. <laughs> Do I plagiarize your ideas? No, no. We're just you're just repeating something that I said in, in podcast. That it was a joke. Anyway, uh, my last uh, oh your jokes were uh, <laughs> so. Oh, by the way, what is it? Just because I didn't laugh at your joke doesn't mean I didn't get it. It's <laughs> a comedian's yeah. wife once said that to him. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. So anyway, last classroom thing, because um, we're running a little bit long. Learn how to back solve. Uh, when you're you know, kind of getting away from like the recipe textbook uh, teaching, start thinking about what you see as the desired outcome. and then. Assemble all the tools that you've got at your disposal, whether it's a textbook, or worksheets, um, games, activities, stories, whatever you got, uh, and put those together to make the that outcome most likely. Right? And you more experience, you get you get better at doing that. You know, you'll see that some things work, some things don't, and. Going back a little bit, we were talking about taking notes. Um, don't assume that just because you go in your first period class and it worked great, that is no guarantee <laughs> that it's going to work at all in the you second period. That, you will find that out on your first day. <laughs> Whoa, that worked really great in first class. It's like, oh, it's like, like, like brrr, crash oh. and burn, teacher. Oh, oh, all oh, right. <laughs> And you look at the class and it's like, what's wrong? <laughs> it worked so well. It worked with the other students. <laughs> uh, I don't know how many. I, that still amazes me. <laughs> how I can have. It's the worst feeling in the world. It's the worst. Because you're, cause you're, cause you're, you're into it. Right? So you're looking forward to it. Like, this is going to be great. Oh, I got this activity <laughs> nailed. Yeah. <laughs> or the story oh, or the joke, man. right? Oh, oh, so bad. That's a good one. That's oh, oh, that is so true. I mean, I, I, how many times have you had like three or four of the same classes in one day, and that there is absolutely no commonality between the performance of the classes on those activities or that plan, right? Oh, okay. I think I'm, I want to close with I think a real important thing, which is well, I got a, I got, I got some important things too. But go ahead. Oh, then I, okay, I mean, I'm going to stop talking. How's that? I will close with no, no. this one from you, no, my no. side. Go, go, go. Okay, which is try to be as sensitive as you can to the incredible amount of variability that exists within your class. That just because classes are streamed and you have the advanced class or you have the intermediate class, there's going to be such an extreme amount of variability within that class that you're probably just not even aware of. So just assume that you think, ah, you know what, I have a, a beginning class, first period, intermediate class, second period, advanced class, third period, and you're going to think those, the differences in ability and performance is going to be really big. It's not going to be anywhere near as incredibly you know, wide-ranging as what's going to happen in your class. So just always be aware that Absolutely there's a true. lot of variability. And number two, the other thing is individual variability that who that person is today might be different but by who they are how they feel the next week some days they're up some days they're down account for that so just account for people having variation and that your class having variation so okay. yeah remember remember your students are people really mm-hmm. are they mm-hmm. well, I, I, don't, <laughs> I want to say <laughs> Down, oh, contrary God. to it. Uh, there goes they another assumption through the through the floor. There, oh, window. Okay, I'll remember that one. Okay, you said you had a few more. I got some stuff, and I'll just I'll just kind of bunch it all together, because uh, we've been focusing on the classroom, rightly so. But 
new teachers. Um, you also need to be aware that like that's just part of your job. Uh, and uh, a lot of the other things that involved you that can either make or break you. Um, Administration-wise, right? So know the school's expectations. So, okay, you get high. What do they expect? What do they really want you to do? Are you sure? <laughs> I mean, you have your own idea what you want to do and what's important, what your priorities are. What about the school's? Do you know what their priorities are? Are you sure? Make sure you know about that. Um, know the rules. A physical classroom. How much can you change? Um, I know an excellent teacher from way back when. She was teaching in high school. And in her classroom, there was a carpet. It was all ripped up. And students were tripping on the carpet every week. And one day she got fed up with it, and she had the students rip up the carpet. <laughs> <laughs> where was this oh where boy was this? where was this in osaka area Whoa. Uh, I, I was at one school was in a, it was their associated high school so mm. uh. <clears throat> and so anyway know the rules changing a classroom um what are the rules about student absences excused absences unexcused absences late what are the school rules? Um, you know what they are. You can bend them as you see fit, as you feel comfortable. Um, contact with students, right? Phone numbers, emails. Some, a lot of schools have very strict restrictions, very strict rules. Yes. A lot of restrictions. What you can do, what you can't do. Know what the rules are. Choose to follow them or not. I'm not going to say anything. Um, know your paperwork. Uh, a lot of it's going to be in Japanese. If you don't know what it means, you know what it is, ask about it. Know what the deadlines are. Know what's expected because that is really important. You For a lot of schools, what your, your paperwork is a lot more important than what you do in the classroom. Um, copy machines, protocols, other equipment that's used or it's for you to, it's available, it's not available. How do you, you know, you need a PC for a classroom. How do you get it? What forms do you need to fill out? Library access for you, library access for your students, what materials in the library, office staff, respect, Teach oh. the, treat those people with respect. Uh, do not get on their wrong side. Uh, it's very different, especially if you're coming from Western country. We think about that office staff, the chemical, as academic support. It's not exactly like that. It's, um, it's really the, the, the tail wagging the dog. Um, things are not driven by academics, things are driven by bureaucracy, and they hold the reins just like charles you were talking about this is your classroom well when you walk into the office it's their university well and put, you better well remember put. that <laughs> i can't second that enough that <laughs> you're really and it's just it's just different right it's a social lubricant it's a society's the way it is you got to know that and don't be a jerk don't be a jerk. It makes it worse for everybody. It makes it worse for the staff. It makes it worse for the other teachers. Respect. Be polite. Yeah, you know, I'm just going to suggest that a little box of cookies mm -hmm. at the end of the year to the clerical staff, those office yeah, a little people. Thank who, you. Just a little thank you just to say, you know, and I always say something to them basically like, thank you for just putting up with me. You know, I apologize for, you know, any rudeness or, you know, being impatient or whatever. And, you know, because that is the uh, demonstration to them. And th something you just said, too, is nobody gives them obvious respect. Right? Most of the people you're interacting with are not at the top of their departments. Right. Um, right. And, in fact, they have part of, you know, some of the hardest jobs, which is dealing with foreign teachers, which is not like uh, a job that people volunteer for. Right. 
Be nice. Um, you are going to why, right? You are going to be stressed out. You're going to lose it possibly. And you know, one of the things to remember is that a heartfelt apology with a box of cookies <laughs> does wonders. And I just always do that. I just say, hey, look, you know, thank you. You, you were really kind to me. You really helped me. It's, it's, just, it's just the cost of doing business. Yeah, I mean, they're the face. They're the front line. And it's the inevitable conflict between that crazy university bureaucracy versus what you're trying to do in the classroom. And it's there's an inevitable conflict. And they're at that interface all day, every day, with all the foreign teams. <laughs> Give them, cut them some slack. <laughs> yeah, dealing with us is not easy. Hmm. Right? You know, it's just different rules, but that's a good point. And the other thing is identify the people who are really, really, really helpful and reward them, and identify the people who are maybe causing you friction, and figure out how to deal with them in the best yeah, way. Yeah, put some, put some lubricant on. Or... Right, you know. Um, but identify those people. This is a really good point. We should do a whole thing episode instead of the classroom, but how do you navigate all those other things? Mm. That should be for the other thing for newbie teachers, right? Here's yeah. how you navigate the uni- How do you navigate paperwork? Or how do you, right? <laughs> God, the paperwork I'm getting now mm. is just, oh. I want to turn to people and say, you need to take a writing class. Anyway, I think we're over an hour at this we're point. Over. So let's I just, got just just a couple of things, and then sure. they're important. I think um, emergency numbers. Yeah, so when you've you mentioned this before. You've mentioned this. Before. Yeah, I mentioned this is before. Really key. So it's like no, it's like something goes crazy. Know who to contact because and have that handy because it happens fast. With the student illness, student a fight breaks out, whatever a fire. Make sure you know who to contact. Um, in the teacher's room, listen, watch, listen, figure out who knows what they're doing, who's just blowing steam, who is helpful, who is not, who's got it together, doesn't. Just pay attention. Um, when you figure that out, uh, keep your contacts. Um, Think of it as like your own teacher Rolodex, whether you do it's whether it's Meishi collection or a digital, but people who know their stuff, who, you know, whether it's regarding research, whether it's about classroom uh, practices, whether it's just personal, um, keep your contacts, get their phone numbers, get their emails and, and use it. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Um, you listen to somebody, it's like, okay, this, this guy, this girl really knows her stuff. Um, maybe I'll ask them about this. How do I do this? Or I've got this activity. What do you think? Uh, Would this work for these students? Ask for help. Don't be shy. And, um, I'm not a big fan of like the professional organizations, but teaching organizations, but they can be a real big help and things like JALT. Um, other teacher teacher associations making contacts, getting new jobs, help with research, you know, re- writing papers together. All right, I'm done. <sighs> Last thing I just want to add on to that is, you'll probably go to a lot of conferences and listen to research things, and there is nothing more valuable than asking a teacher how they made something work. You know, you right. Know, you know, we we don't. You want to, and what did they do in the classroom? Because I'm always amazed when I hear what people do in ain't the it, classroom, and I'm like, well, I would never have thought of that. And that's right. how I get the best ideas. It's not from going to conferences and hearing about research. It's by hearing from actual practitioners. Yeah, you're and, sitting around the teacher's room, and they and so, explain what they did, and, it's and like, you're like, whoa, 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 <laughs> whoa what an incredibly <laughs> great thing! To Damn, do. let me write, write this down. <laughs> can I can I plagiarize your idea? Can I steal your idea? <laughs> But the flip side of that, then uh, a really fast way to improve your teaching is don't model yourself on the best teacher you knew, which is what most people do. They think about the best teacher. Look at the negative models and don't do those things. <laughs> and that will just increase your effectiveness really quickly because I think when I watch a really good teacher, I can't see 
what I mean in the beginning I couldn't see what you they can't were doing. see the good you can't yeah. see you know, it's like you watching see a working, great athlete you don't know why <laughs> it's like watching a great athlete or a great musician and it takes a great musician to understand why somebody's truly good and in the same way it's going to take you years to be able to understand how somebody makes something work why they're so good but when somebody's doing something wrong it's obvious and if you say okay I'm not going to do that you've just upped your game mm. so that's my last thing to say for today and good advice okay. And, you have the closing, Tony. Ha! <sighs> a lot of stuff. Yeah. A lot of stuff. Okay. Why don't and you the, think that yeah, we, the we last thing <laughs> new teacher needs something not more overwhelming tsunami of information, but it, there it is. Okay. And I was and just, so, I was just going to say I would suggest to people that they use the OverDrive app if they're listening to us, right? in a podcast app because then you can slow us down there's a nice speed control or more importantly you can speed us up and get through the podcast even more quickly you mean overcast overcast very nice app i like that that you can i, I usually play all my, my podcasts at about what 1.75 speed uh you heathen uh you you, you listen only at 100 percent, just straight speed okay <laughs> Whatever. Silence. <laughs> Silence two, on that one. Two, and there you go. Two teachers talking. <laughs> 2D.com, gmail.com, Skype, two teachers talking. Anything else you can think of. We're two teachers talking. But we're going to stop talking. And uh, next month. See you, Tony. <laughs>